Hello, my name is Ben Davidson. I'm a partner in the Cause Construction team based in Melbourne, and welcome to Cause High Viz. Today we'll be talking about cladding, and in particular the Lacrosse fire and, and aftermath. As most of you will be aware, in November 2014, the residential Lacrosse Tower in the Docklands in Melbourne was rapidly set ablaze. The fire was sparked by a cigarette on the eighth floor balcony and quickly raced up the external wall of the building. The building was clad in panels with a highly flammable polyethylene core, a material which has caused similar devastating fires around the world. After the fire, about 300 lacrosse owners have brought a claim in VCAT, seeking $24 million in damages from the builder L.U. Simons. L.U. Simons has in turn claimed that the relevant building surveyor, architect, fire risk consultant and project managers were responsible for the disaster. Now, a 30-day VCAT hearing has commenced. I'm joined by Emily Steiner, senior lawyer in the construction group based in Melbourne, and we're going to have a chat about what's going on down at VCAT and uh, where the lacrosse hearing is likely to take things. Emily, what changes and trends have you noticed in the market since the lacrosse fire when the combustible cladding issue was brought to Australia's attention? So since the lacrosse fire, I think there's been a heightened public awareness about um, specifically the risks that are associated with the aluminium composite cladding that has a um, polyethylene core, particularly um, those with a 30% plus polyethylene core. Um, and more generally, there's a heightened public awareness about the importance of using building materials that are compliant with the Building Code of Australia um, and using those materials in a manner that is compliant with the Building Code of Australia. Since the Lacrosse fire and particularly after the Grenfell fire in London, um, the Victorian government has committed to addressing issues with non-compliant cladding on publicly owned buildings um, and in particular public hospitals, including the Royal Women's Hospital in Melbourne. Anecdotally as well, we've seen that local councils have really started to target the issue of non-compliant cladding um, by issuing more building notices that actually identify um, non-compliant cladding within them. Um, so this is really causing owners to consider the materials that are used on their buildings and I suppose as well to consider the other fire safety systems that they have in place. In March 2018, uh, Ministerial Guideline 14 was released. Um, this provides that building surveyors um, are not permitted to issue building permits involving aluminium composite panels or expanded polystyrene products with a polyethylene content of 30% or more as part of an external wall unless the use has been determined as compliant by the Building Appeals Board. Um, this provides an additional layer, I suppose, of um, prevention of use of these products. And more recently, Planning Minister Richard Wynne has also um, introduced legislation um, to provide for what is called cladding rectification agreements. Uh, these provide for lenders to offer low interest loans that are guaranteed by local authorities through their rate systems. This will allow owners to replace their cladding and pay back the loan through their rates over a minimum period of 10 years. So those are really the high level updates that have happened since Lacrosse and Grenfell. Um, and I think it'll be quite interesting to see how each of those play out. Thanks, Emily, that's really interesting. Uh, in terms of the current VCAT hearing that's running, it's actually not the beginning of the story, is it? The uh, L.U. Simons and VBA matter in the Supreme Court ran, I think, earlier this year and uh, produced a result that 
uh, I think surprised the market a little bit. What do you see as the significance of that decision? So in that case, the Supreme Court of Victoria found that the VBA was not entitled to issue directions to fix after a certificate of final inspection or an occupancy permit had been issued. So it's important to note that directions to fix can be issued with respect to cladding issues as well as all other issues of non-compliance with the Building Code of Australia. So this decision places a clear time bar on opportunities for the VBA to issue a direction to fix. Um, in turn, this means that the immediate cost of rectifying um, any buildings that are non-compliant is immediately pushed back onto the building owners and um, owners' corporations of you know, large residential buildings. This is clearly a significant shift, um, although it might be slightly more palatable in light of the new cladding rectification agreements that have just been brought in. Uh, it's also important to note that the decision does not prevent owners from later recovering those costs from responsible third parties. The, the impact is really just on the immediate responsibility for costs. Thanks. What's interesting then, so the consequence of the win by OU Simons is that the liability has shifted back to the owners uh, from the builder. I think it'd be interesting to hear from you some of your initial observations from the VCAT hearings so far. Uh, whilst LU Simons have escaped the VBA's attempt to have them rectify the building, I think they rectified it themselves but are now presented with a $24 million claim. What have you seen happen so far? L.U. Simon has um, clearly escaped the direction to fix, but um, I think that there's still, you know, they're still on, potentially on the hook. Um, I guess we have to see what happens with this lacrosse hearing. So L.U. Simon, for example, is largely passing blame for the fire on the architect. In turn, the architects say that they're not responsible just because they designed the building. Um, they say that at fault with a builder, fire engineer and building surveyor, the building surveyor says that if it is found to have caused the fire in part, which it denies, the occupants of the building have to share part of the blame on the basis that the owner's corporation didn't conduct any route inspections to ensure that the balconies weren't being used for storage purposes or were otherwise used inappropriately. In the first week of the hearing, um, it's been suggested by an expert for the lacrosse owners that at the time the building was designed, there was no aluminium composite cladding on sale in Australia that would have met the facade or balcony requirements for the Building Code of Australia. Um, this suggests that the relevant consultants should have known that the cladding being installed was not compliant. We haven't heard a lot more about that so far, but we can definitely expect to hear more about this as the hearing goes on. Just before we move away from the hearing, I saw just reported in the newspaper the other day that the issue of mitigation had been raised in the sense that the counsel for LU Simons had indicated that the ultimate rectification cost, I think, was about $9 million in circumstances where there was an offer, as I understand it from LU Simons, for $5 million. Um, senior counsel indicated uh, that it was inappropriate then that uh, the owners corporation had elected to use the most expensive uh, fix. Uh, did you have any sort of views on what happened in that instance? So the owner's response to that was that they had an expert review all of the quotes and the expert came back and said that the $9 million quote was the most appropriate and on that basis the um, owners relied on that. It'll be interesting to see whether um, that is adequate mitigation in the current circumstances. Okay, putting lacrosse aside for a minute, uh, the issue of cladding is cropping up more broadly and fairly regularly now. Uh, 
A couple of weeks ago, H Buildings, which is a subsidiary of Hickory Group, was placed into voluntary administration. We know that when a company goes into VA, there is a moratorium on any action being brought against the company. We are aware of two claims against H Buildings being stopped in their tracks as a direct result of the administration of H Buildings, one relating to apartments in Richmond and one relating to apartments in Brunswick. So Emily, for the owners of the Richmond and Brunswick apartments, if the administrator is unable to turn H Buildings around, the impact and loss could be significant. What do you see as the key lessons to be learnt from this matter? I think an important lesson is to remember that um, before entering into any sort of construction or building arrangement that comprehensive due diligence is absolutely necessary in terms of understanding the parties that you're contracting with, what their financial positions are, you know, even what other sorts of projects they're working on, how ongoing they might be, what their cash flow might be and all, all of that sort of thing. So where do you see cladding issues going from here? It seems that they're popping up far more regularly and uh, are covered by the media pretty aggressively. What do you think that the uh, next series of issues will be? I think that it'll be interesting to see whether there's a greater use of the cladding rectification agreements that have recently um, been legislated for, um, and indeed if there is a greater use of them, how they will play out. I think that they could be a useful mechanism to ensure that any unsafe cladding is removed as soon as possible. Um, so it's interesting, I think that'll be an interesting space to watch. In light of the cladding rectification agreements as well, um, once those initial costs are covered for by the building owners, I think that we can probably expect to see some increased litigation um, in the same vein as the um, lacrosse hearing. In that respect, it's also important to note that um, limitations periods are critical for litigation. So anybody that is seeking to raise any disputes with respect to any cladding issues they might have um, should be very aware of the limitations that exist on their building. I think that we can also expect to see that there'll be less buildings um, being built in the future that have um, non-compliant cladding, given that there is such a heightened awareness of this issue um, in the public and most definitely in the building and construction industry. But having said that, I think that this will be a very long-lasting issue given how popular the use of um, this type of cladding was at a particular point in time and how expensive rectification works and time-consuming rectification works can be. Emily, thank you. Uh, it's been fascinating to hear where things are up to. We're going to keep a weather eye on cladding and what's happening in respect of the VCAT hearing. So I look forward to talking to you again in a week or so to find out where that hearing's got to. This has been Ben Davidson and Emily Steiner at Cause. Uh, thank you very much for listening. This podcast is for reference purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and should not be relied upon as such. You should always obtain legal advice about your specific circumstances.